Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sean Atkinson and I'm here with Danielle. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Danielle Kuntz. I am a contact marketing manager for the Center for Internet Security. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'll allow Sean to do more of the cybersecurity expertise. Um, being in the marketing side of it, um, I'm here more for a uh, parental and um, common man type point of view for today's show. Fantastic. So today we're talking about top five security tips for families. This is really centered around back to school, really looking now here at kind of K through 12, but it really this approach is the family and looking at what we can do from a security perspective to help those help themselves in terms of protection, both privacy, recommended best practices, and really between Danielle and myself, we'll give our parental view, as it were, as how we manage security in the home. So welcome to the show. Uh, as mentioned, these are the top five security tips for families. Um, one of the first ones, Danielle, that I'm going to start with is updating hardware and software. Now, uh, from a best practice perspective, from a CISO perspective, that's what I say in the enterprise. But it also comes back to the home as well. Let me give you some examples. So first is looking at your underlying operating systems. That's the phone, that's the computer that's used. Looking to make sure those are updated and patched to the latest version. And the reason you want to do that is because there could be security vulnerability, new features, functionality, or privacy controls that have been uh, granted via that update uh, for the users. One of the other things that I would also recommend is if there's a capability to add uh, automation, make it an automatic update. Um, now, some systems, some operating systems will let you, let you know, you know, between this time frame, usually within the middle of the night, we're going to update your system. Fantastic. Allow automation to help you in that space. There's also another area that I wanted to focus on that maybe doesn't get enough attention. Uh, and again, this goes back to elements of IoT and, and automation in the home, and that's your router. So you'll be provided in a lot of respects an ISP's uh, uh, modem that you'll have in your home. And connected to that, you should have, or maybe even combined in there, is a wireless router. In a lot of cases, we'll be using wireless or maybe ethernet connected uh, devices. But that home router itself needs to be updated as well. There's been a number of attacks focused on the home router itself. So one of the analogies that I like to use here is treat it like a car. You take a car in for service. Do the same thing on a repeated basis with the, your home router. Now, in some cases, there may not be an update for it. Fantastic, you can walk away. But if there is, it's always recommended to do that. Danielle, what's your take on, on updating hardware and software? Um, well, I could be biased also being part of the uh, Center for Internet Security family, but um, I really think it's really important, and I, I think a lot of the, the times, um, I have a 13-year-old, and a lot of times 
you know, there's always that analogy of, or, or that's saying that, oh, they, they know better than I do, right? Well, you know, you kind of trust the, the child to know more about it than you do, and you kind of just allow it to kind of happen, and as long as everything's working, everything seems fine. Um, being that we're kind of talking about that, you know, that K-12 age, um, you know, going to school, going back to school we're talking about is, is really important um, for the kids to all have their software protected. They just want to play and get into things quickly and, and, and they'll dismiss something if it's going to stop them from their target, right, to open up that app or to utilize their phone. Um, so I think um, parents should take a real initiative to understand those pieces and what needs, you know, to use your analogy, Sean, about the car, you know, a tune-up of all of the software, you know, grab their phone for a little bit. Are the updates happening? Are there notifications on these, these pieces of equipment? You know, do your, you know, IoT systems need to be updated or, or you know, if you're, if you're getting them through an internet service company, are they doing that or, you know, can you be educated a little bit more on it? So I think it's a really easy thing to monitor and, and you know, be comfortable doing because to your point, it's, it's kind of automated. A lot of them kind of tell you, you schedule it, you do it, but, so, you know, just making sure that you're kind of aware that that should be happening on every device that you have is really important. So that's what I try to instill um, whenever I have to grab my child's phone from them for 30 seconds <laughs> and take it and check. Exactly. And grabbing the phone for 30 seconds may be a, a Herculean task, but you have to do it, right? I think there's just making sure everybody's aware and that there's a requirement, you know, make it kind of a, a family thing. You'll know especially if you're using the same technology when an update is issued, right? You know, let's let's just use a, a phone as an example. Um, if you're using the same model or at least the same brand, you'll know when updates are coming out. So you can, you know, pass on that advice, pass on the, the requirement that it's updated. Uh, and again, not to cut into screen time as it were, but that the uh, there is an importance and there is a reason to do it. Uh, absolutely. And great points, Daniel. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Danielle, I want to move from hardware. And one of the things I do want to go a little bit more in depth upon is passwords. I'm going to use the term passphrase because I think it's now making more sense to utilize something a little stronger than what our typical hard to remember passwords used to be. Okay. So we've had updates in the industry. So I'll use some industry um elements here from NIST. NIST 800, it's a special publication, 863B. Uh, and so it's iterative versions of, of good password passphrase policy. And so one of those has now uh, been issued uh, and recently amended is talking about the way to structure authentication methodologies, but really uh, creation of uh, what we'll call strong passwords or what I'll use is passphrases. One of the elements here is really, I think, permeates a lot of families and it, it may be something we've become accustomed to or as a habit, but is the reuse of passwords across different accounts. Now, one of the things that I really want people to be aware of, uh, and there's a, a website that I'm going to recommend you use, but we hear about and we see uh, data breaches all the time personal information released, usernames and passwords. Now, what happens with those is maybe, you know, whomever has done that and they've posted to a particular location, others that may have um, nefarious intent are also going and grabbing those lists of passwords and usernames to see if you've used those passwords on different accounts, okay? 
So you have a Gmail account. Have I used that to authenticate or to log into uh, other accounts with the same username, uh, a, a, maybe a deconstructed username, but the same password? And reusing those passwords allow not only one breach, you know, for your information, but other breaches as well. So your identity and your access into other websites uh, can also be harmed with a single data breach of um, another business or entity. So what I'm recommending is um, passphrases. And there's a great website that you can use called usapassphrase.com. And I like it because it's a great teaching uh, element as well. So this uh, will build a passphrase for you. Uh, and it's basically four words. You can do five words. I think you can go actually up to 12 words that it'll build a passphrase. And these are just random words um, that when strung together are very strong in terms of creating a passphrase. Now you re may remember uh, from uh, either at work or from school or just from best practices in the past, that it was always really four characteristics of a password, an uppercase, a lowercase, a base 10 digit, and a special character. And you were supposed to form those into something that you uh, could try to remember. Now, one of the problems with building passwords that way is that they're very easy for computers to break. And there are programs, there are hacking tools that allow those particular passwords to be broken very, very easily. And in a lot of cases, there'll be dictionaries of these words and words where letters are changed to a number or a special character, etc., um, that are basically curated um, online and, and within a particular tooling that allow really very fast assessment to see whether your password is one of these passwords that have been curated in these dictionary words. There's also another website that I'm going to recommend as well. Is it's um, haveibeenpwned.com. So instead of owned, it's uh, p p w n e d, and this reports on any accounts that you may think have been breached or passwords to accounts that have been breached, and you can see. Uh, whether or not a particular password or a particular account has been part of one of these many, many number of breaches that we've seen in the past. And if they have, that means that particular password where you were using for that account is obviously now out in the wild, as we'll call it, uh, and can be used to log into other accounts. And especially if you've used, um, you know, reuse of those passwords, very, very important uh, to create what I'm going to call a passphrase. So again, because you've created maybe this memorable four-word um, four uh, passphrase, one of the things we're going to also not do is we want those words to be random. We don't want those words to be part of a phrase, like a normal phrase, a quote, or anything along those lines, because books, numbers of quotes are all part of these dictionaries of common passwords and can be used if you're using particular quotes uh, really against you um, in order to crack your uh, account and your, your password. So again, uh, you've maybe created both a, uh, a random passphrase, but again, we shouldn't reuse it. Um, Again, we want to make sure we're really doing every effort to protect those. And you'll also find um, online that there are a number of lists of common passwords. You'll find every year, you know, the most 100 most common passwords. And 
it's always good to understand what are in there. And you'll find that, uh, again, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, password, and some other uh, passwords as well that you may be common. Do not use those. Those are, uh, you know, take those out of your vocabulary or your password listing completely. Those should be gone. And really, you want to start using this passphrase and make it as strong as possible, but then also combine it with multi-factor. Now, multi-factor authentication will have multiple elements. One will be something you know. That's a password. The second will be something you have, and that could be a phone that you could receive a text on, maybe an external email address that you could also receive an email with access to a system with a number of characters with you, uh, authenticating you to that particular system. That adds an extra layer and is really recommended best practice. So if you can, and the service and system that you're creating the account for allows multi-factor, please utilize it. Danielle, what are your thoughts in the space? Yeah, the um, um, I, I think this is where the education to new generations utilizing the technology is really important because there is such a short attention span um, that if they have to be stopped even once for that second authentication, you know, it's the eye roll and the frustration, and there's no real understanding as to why that's so important. Um, in, in speaking with my child who's 13 and, and has had the use of technology really all their lives is the fact that it's protecting you. It takes a matter of seconds. It's an extra layer of security so that you're protected. And I think you have to educate them on why that's important. There's such a detachment with it. You know, they understand passwords, right? We all kind of understand passwords. And Sean, I agree with you, passphrases, I think, are definitely becoming more popular. Um, when um, I had the fortunate time of being part of developing the password policy guide, working in the marketing department for CIS, um, which we can link all of these links that we've mentioned in the show notes today. So everyone who's listening can access all of these great um, pieces of resources, that the policy guide was also talking about how the passwords would say, you know, an uppercase letter, eight characters, a number, a character, and what people would do was create it in that order. So it was very easy to hack them because no one, you know, put the zero in the front, they put it at the end or something with the character all the way at the end, so it was very easy to find those connections. So passphrases are actually becoming more popular. and various accounts you're setting up online are becoming more flexible with that, where you actually use passphrases. You don't have to use every single character in the book. Um, the passphrases are actually stronger, and it's actually gazing the strength of the password as opposed to just following this certain set of, you know, checklist of criteria. And it's actually allowing, by the companies hosting that, they're protecting themselves from having anybody be breached on their system, but, but also my child is protected because they're being more educated, more comfortable creating passwords that are more secure. Um, and I'm definitely going to utilize those websites to automatically create them because every now and then I'm just staring around my room at various things like picture frame, couch cushion, you know, trying to pick. And if there's a, if there's a software out there that can pick it for me and it's way more secure, I'm totally um, in agreement and support of that. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're great. and, and 
and if someone could just think for for us, it's it's a little bit um, easier to create them because they're proven um, protective practices. So I think that's absolutely. Great. I think one other element that I'll I'll jump in with Danielle and what I've found that I've had to do is a password manager. Uh, the number of accounts and things that I have, it's very difficult to create. Um, Secure passwords, and obviously that that's one of the tenants that I use and obviously promote to my family as well. Um, but the password manager kind of takes the onus of, um, in a lot of case, a lot of cases, memorization, and it takes away that reuse. Um, what I'll call um, element that. You know, maybe I get lazy one day and maybe instead of I'll do the four words, but then I'll just put a number at the end. Like you said, it's funny how you look at uh, the dictionaries and the attack method, because exactly what you said is the construction of these is usually a word, a number, maybe a special character. And it's always the first letter is uppercase. And, you know, the structure of these uh, dictionaries that are used to correct passwords, you know, follow that completely. So you're, you're it, that's a great observation. Um, but password managers may be recommended as well in order just to help you maintain that level of security and maintain the uh, efficacy of this underlying program that we're mentioning uh, to create passphrases uh, and have them unique across every account that you have. Yeah, definitely. And I think being a mom and having, you know, friends that have children that are even younger than in their teens that are utilizing, you know, they're running around with the tablets and their phones, they're in the car having them, is when is the level of security breached when you're just, you know, allowing them or giving them these passwords to just access these things too? I think there's also a security level of, you know, pr protecting yourself and your own finances and your own um, allowances of what your children are accessing by putting them behind these passwords is also a great opportunity to discuss online usage, whether it's the amount of screen time or just why do you need access to this right now? Why do you need why do you need my Amazon account right now? Um, you're not looking to buy anything right now because if you just gave the password, you possibly could have a little bit of a shopping spree going on. And we all know that we've probably learned the hard way that way that, um, you know, when we get the credit card notification that something's been purchased. So it is another opportunity to also manage the technology with the children and with your family. So everyone kind of is, is kind of more transparent and communicative about what they're using. And if something's really not meant for them, make it protected with a password that, to be honest, they can't breach either. You know, if you're just using your own anniversary or your child's birthday, they're going to figure that one out, right? So it's, it's, a, it's another level of security, too, to protect your kids from the outside stuff, too, that, that you know, internally with the family. So, um, I, you know, just adding that little extra layer of another good reason to have passwords. Critically important, and you're absolutely right. Uh, absolutely right. And I think what moves on to our next tip, um, it is a key word that you've mentioned and is going to permeate through all of these uh, particular tips that we have today is responsibility. And I think also one of the things as parents we should do is have the responsibility to highlight what is spam and malware uh, to our kids. I think it's needed because one of the things that I see and um, one of the techniques um, that is permeating throughout and for multiple years are really the social engineering and the phishing email 
that really um, hits to an emergency. So let's say your child says there's a problem with your registration for school or registration for a particular product or service that's needed for school. Uh, click this link to, to rectify it. You know, it, one of the things I've had to caution my daughter against is clicking those links, you know, not reacting to the emergency immediately. Let me know. Let me see it. If it's in school, let a teacher see it. Always look for advice when you see these things looking for an emergency. Because this is really where, you know, you get the um, that sense of urgency to click a link in order to rectify the problem. You want to rectify it as soon as possible. But in a lot of cases, that's done with nefarious intent. So I think one of the things I've done is um, actually either printed them out or if I've received a phishing email is to walk my daughter through that email and say, look, here's the indicators that this is not something you want to look at. You know, one of the things I also do is reveal the actual email address. And, you know, from obfuscation perspective and, and spoofing, you can look at email addresses and it could say one thing, but the actual email address is sending you to a completely different email address than what is represented in some of these email applications. Sometimes, too, you know, with these links, uh, scams are, you know, designed to, you know, cheat students out of money. Um, you know, there could be fake scholarship uh, elements, uh, tuition elements, and things of this nature that we've got to be very, very cautious about what's being clicked. In, in one of the cases through K through 12 is, you know, We'll take a uh, an online game, very popular, maybe Roblox, maybe Minecraft, and, and there's links sent just to a number of uh, people with links, you know, upgrades for this, you know, um, uh, coins and currency in these particular games, um, you know, click here for free uh, upgrades and things like that. Those um, you know, obviously specifically targeted uh, at uh, users of those particular systems as well. So it's you're always going to be just very, very careful about what you're uh, clicking on there as well. One of the other things, you know, you'll see as well um, is fake uh, friend requests or Google Doc notices. I've seen a huge um, integration of Google into uh, schooling, especially given the current conditions we are, you know, remote and what we've been through in the last 18 months or more, is um, notices through those systems, you know, click this to access this particular Google Doc and, and things of that nature. You've got to verify, you know, who's sending those particular links because those, again, could be malicious. Daniel, what's some of the techniques you've used uh, with respect to spam, malware, uh, etc.? I, um, I, I think this is one of the scariest topics out of the, the list that we have today because this is the one topic where usually the child is at their own discretion where they have to kind of make that call. And again, going back to this fast culture that we have, you know, I, I just want to get through, I just want to do this is, are they going to notice that this email from grandma is not from grandma? You know, I think the, a lot of the spam and malware that I've seen come through on my child's email because, you know, they have to have a Gmail account to connect to certain things and play certain games and, you know, be autonomous in the, what small things they want to do. So they are already targeted so early on in this process that, you know, they're they're able to receive emails now that are a friend's name because maybe their friend isn't being 
that careful with their security plan. I think a lot of it now, too, is, you know, I'm protecting myself, but how many other people are protecting themselves? And if they get hacked, how is that going to affect my child and our technology, too, because we're just friends and family, right? You just let them in. We all want to talk and, oh, it's from grandma and, oh, it's from my best friend. I'm just going to open it, not realizing that it could be um, a fake and a scam. So I think that's the part, um, and Sean, you mentioned too, that you really have to kind of look at those and say, you know, just come to me with it before you open it. I'm not saying you're not going to be able to, but just come to me and show me. And that allows them to get a hold of what to look for more and more. Um, And the fact that now it's coming through a phone, even text messaging, it's difficult to look at. Um, It's difficult to make that call on scam links through there, which automatically is all of a sudden downloading software that's reading all their data on their phone and they don't even know. So it's those, those unknowns where if it's not tangible and they can't relate to it, they don't really care. So it's just showing them why it's important. Why is this email bad? What is it going to do? And I always tell them it's going to shut down your phone and it's going to take weeks for us to figure out how to get it back. And once I kind of say that, it kind of helps because they're, they'll know they'll be taken offline for a while. And that ultimately is what's going to happen. Something's going to break. Something's going to hold you up. Don't let that happen because you didn't take 30 seconds to ask your, you know, forward, not forward, but open an email and show. I mean, never tell them to forward. <laughs> And we don't want to give them that 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 tip, but um, definitely, you know, show them before they open it, and and that's the easiest way. Or or they're going to be yes. locked down yes. for a while. So <laughs> and no kid wants that. I think there's a, a similar element here, um, also with malware. And one of the things you just broke up was applications, uh, and uh, you know. Breaking that out of this discussion is there could be applications. Um, One of the elements of control that we need on our devices is not just allowing children carte blanche access to download anything they want from an application perspective or online media perspective, because those themselves, uh, again, could be what we'll call a Trojan horse. It looks legitimate. It looks like a cool game, whatever it is. And that, again, can install malware. on any of these particular mobile devices and uh, iPads and things of that nature. Uh, Again, the companies um, have some stringent control in terms of development and other companies don't. And, you know, you've got to be very wary about what you're downloading because, like you say, it could be, you know, have access to all of your contacts and use you as a way or maybe look like you're sending email from your mailbox to others in your contact list, has access to your location, Again, that gets into other connotations when we're talking about children's safety and protection. And so we've got to be really diligent about looking again, not only at the email, but what is my child downloading and doing some restrictive uh, elements there. We'll talk a little bit about that in our next tip uh, in terms of privacy and uh, some uh, control settings that we'll have. Um but that's another thing, Danielle, that I think is very important as well. I want to get your perspective on uh, downloads. Um, I, I do agree with you that the level of downloads and, and knowing what they're downloading is extremely important. I have to admit, too, sometimes it's just, hey, can I download a game? And it's kind of a yes, you know, quick answer. The most difficult part is not really the game, it's the attachments and the things that are connected through the application. 
they'll wonder why all of a sudden their phone is going slow or if they're online why you know did I click on a link in a chat for some extra gold coins or extra access to someplace now all of a sudden my account is moving really slow or I'm losing all this you know advancement that I had on the game when I was online how did I lose all this it's because you actually gave access through these links thinking that they were just conversational or part of the game even um, the ability to download videos on YouTube or looking at comments and sharing these videos inside the videos even in the comments there are spam links because they know the demographic that's looking at it to say hey if you like this click on this and someone will just click on it because they think it's related and it's never it's hardly ever related it's either selling them something or worse so looking for that and kind of turning away from them and not having the impulse to always download and touch and experience every single thing you're seeing online and really thinking about what you're doing will help and also you know I'm hoping diminish some of these tactics because if they're not going to work they're not going to be used as often so I'm hoping that there's kind of that kind of byproduct of if we keep educating the next generations and you know companies like CIS and, and a lot of our partners are doing you know with the actual companies hosting these places if we make all of this secure it makes it a lot harder for these to get through that that's kind of the ideal I would like to see especially with download games because it's I'm bored with the 20 I have let me have one more and you just say okay go ahead because it'll take 30 seconds and then they're happy again but but what does that really mean in the long that's term? That's a great so. point absolutely great point and it leads us uh, as I just mentioned into privacy this is a huge topic we could spend hours upon hours Danielle talking about this but we'll, we'll hit the key areas uh, and one of the things that we want to do is highlight a couple um, elements within privacy. The first is there is regulation out there to protect children's privacy. Uh, this is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, or COPPA, C-O-P-P-A, enacted in 1998, which has requirements for organizations collecting information um, about children 13 and under, um, and they have due diligence to protect that information. And again, that's it's good to know, but it's not something we can just rest and say, oh, there's regulation, fantastic, that they're protected. They're not. Um, one of the elements that we also have to think about is really their online presence. So they have now a digital identity, really. Um, this is through email, through social uh, networks, uh, through gaming, as we've mentioned, and other uh, products and services online. And so we really want people to think about how their children interact with this digital identity and interact with others utilizing that digital identity. And so it comes down to, you know, there's good practices from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, really, we want to talk about privacy on devices themselves and then best practices uh, that um, uh, students and parents and family members can take as well. So really, when we think about privacy, we want to set up controls on these devices. Now, in... Um, some cases that's called screen time, which will reduce the amount of time, uh, you know, you're on a, a particular uh, device. It also has protections in terms of what applications can use your information, can look at your contacts, um, 
can use location and other elements uh, of the actual device itself. And so those we need to uh, enable. It also helps to enable some of the content restriction as well for what can be downloaded, what authentication or PIN number is required. Is it part of a family group? So where the child's device is not just theirs alone, but you have insight into that device. You have control over that device. And being able to do that helps uh, really protect that uh, element of privacy uh, that we're talking about here. So you want to use and uh, enable privacy and security settings. You want to look at the apps that they're using as well. So as example, maybe YouTube. Um, you know, there's uh, YouTube Kids, and, and that obviously has curated content. And you want to make sure what they're looking at both from online media, gaming, is uh, specific to their age group. You know, um, again, there are obviously um, categories of media that are for specific age groups. We need to make sure that everything's appropriate and setting privacy controls can help protect that too. Um, one of the other elements that I, I'm trying to instill, even at an early age with my daughter, is if it's online, it's there forever. There is a digital footprint of what you've said and, and what you've commented on. And you'll find a lot of um, children these days maybe don't take it as seriously because it's always been there. This capability, you know, which I uh, see as a responsibility in terms of use, has, you know, always been there. I've always got access. I've got access to, you know, practically everything, you know, human knowledge through a search engine and, and media, you know, that I could spend a lifetime watching and never get through. But we need to make sure and instill that there is responsibility in these areas. So one of the things, again, from Just Best Habits is we've got to think about what we're clicking on, what we're opening and attachments to, what we're responding to as well. Again, your digital identity is yours to protect. And it's at such a young age that now children and others are creating these digital identities that we need to have parental controls in place. And there are, but those can be bypassed. Um, in some cases, it'll ask for your date of birth in terms of creating an account. Now, no one's verifying that you're putting the right date of birth in, and so you could create a fake account. You need to know you know, really and work with your children in building these accounts in order to access email and social media. Make sure they're age appropriate and that their age is documented. Again, that helps with the regulation through COPPA because they're taking date of birth and using it for what controls need to be in place. But, you know, after 13, those uh, controls uh, loosen, as it were, in terms of uh, the online protections. But it's still good to have. It's still good to know. And it's still good to make sure uh, that those are instilled and that we're, we're not trying to fake the system, as it were. We want to make sure what we're looking at is appropriate and that you know what your children are looking at with these parental settings and control. The other element of privacy that I always um, really like to state is that we've, it lasts a lifetime. If I lose this information, if this information about me is, is lost or shared with others, um, you know, that's gone. And so one of the other things about sharing that I'm very, very cognizant of is password sharing and access to other accounts. Now, you may be very judicious in the way you manage these accounts, but others, if you share your password, may not be. And again, 
thinking about what could be said on these platforms without really your consent is um, incredibly uh, dangerous if we don't take it seriously. So again, parents, it's not about just sharing passwords and allowing your children, just as Danielle mentioned, just 30 seconds to download something because they're bored or things of that nature. It's really taking some time and due diligence to make sure that you're protecting not only your own accounts, but also theirs as well. There's a lot to be said, too, about communication between adults with regards to privacy. There are a lot of parents with, you know, and no judgment, but allowed their children to utilize social media earlier than I allowed my child, which was fine, but then their child was doing videos and then posting them, and my child was then out there, and I had to ask the parent to say, no, you have to take that down. I don't want my child to be on these platforms until the age that I have decided to. You know, there's one thing on a private Facebook or Instagram account where you can just share among friends and relatives various pictures, but my daughter is, you know, 10 years old. There will not be a YouTube video with my daughter of 10 years old on there because I've decided. So I think it's within every parent's right to decide when that's also appropriate for their privacy to also be compromised by other people and and give that permission, but also manage that, you know, and then communicate to other adults like, oh, you know, I know your child has a YouTube account or I know they have a TikTok. I really don't allow my daughter to be on there and everything. So. I tried to keep an open communication, and I found a lot of parents felt the same way. We were all, you know, kind of in the same boat with, with protecting everyone, but they're, they're having that respect for each other that we're not going to post someone else's child even, because just because you're comfortable, maybe that, that child isn't. You know, getting that parental permission, even just verbally, so there's no surprise later, I think is really important also, because to your point, Sean, it is forever. And, um, you know, I've, <laughs> I even um, say, you know, if you pay for the phone, you should be allowed to follow your kid on whatever platform you want <laughs> until they pay for it themselves. That's kind of my rule. I'm allowed to audit the phone whenever I feel like it. I'm not very strict with it, but I think just them knowing that I could grab it at any time does allow them to be a little bit more um, cognizant about what they're putting out there. Um, there's such a pressure for transparency nowadays, just sharing and sharing and oversharing. And it's really hard to teach your child it's okay to have some things to yourself and, and keep that privacy. Stay private for some pieces. As another tip too that, that I do use that I'd like to share is um, I do follow on every platform my child is on. So they just turned 13 and a lot of these social media accounts allow it like 13 to be on them. So I've decided to be on them because not only I want, do I want to see what they're doing, but also I want to see how the privacy settings work and how the app works. Did I ever think I'd be on TikTok? No, <laughs> never in a million years. Um, did I ever think that even you know do, doing Instagram stories or anything like that that was above just looking at amazing pictures or setting up my Pinterest board is really not something I ever thought about, but now I know how these apps work. I know how private rooms and memberships work and how money is made through them and how they target various um, groups, mostly children, and then I can talk to my child about them. So now when we're watching this stuff together, they see right through all of these ploys and can avoid a lot of that stuff. So I, I think that that's um, important too, whether you know how to do any dances for eight seconds or not, you know, being on TikTok's okay. 
You could be private. Uh, no I one think needs to know. What you mentioned there is uh, great recommendations and tips. And I think, you know, one of the funny things is uh, online privacy has now kind of become an oxymoron. It, it, you know, online does not equal necessary privacy. And you're right, the oversharing. Um, has gotten to such a level that we need these elements of controls and these tips really uh, to help both parents and families, um, you know, it, utilize best practices so they're not putting themselves at risk. Uh, so 100% on your tips there. That's absolutely fantastic. And I think taking the time uh, in order to utilize and review those sites is critically important too. I think also one element I would add is you may also want to read privacy um, policies of these as well. Again, you know, I'm not asking you to read a hundred of them, but for sites where their information is being shared or systems and apps are being installed, it can reveal how those apps are utilizing information on the phone itself that you may not know you've given explicit access to by downloading and accepting the end user license agreement. And I know... You know, I, I, I'm in the same position. I don't read every end user license agreement that I've, you know, ever seen come up on screen. Um, but when it gets to your children's privacy, it may be worth the time just to understand. And like you said, Danielle, understanding the, the tactics and techniques that are used in these systems to, you know, target, you know, uh, purchasing of uh, new apps, upgrades and things of that nature and uh, and how it's actually used. And uh, again, there's other social engineering um, elements that we, uh, again, could talk for hours about that are used in order to, uh, you know, up that screen time, get people on that particular application, website, whatever it happens to be for longer periods of time, because it's in the best interest of uh, the service provider, you know, in order to uh, to get your eyes on their screen uh, rather than somebody else's. Yeah, being in marketing, I totally know <laughs> all about that. So I, it is a fine line that I yes. tread. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing is when it comes to children that are being targeted is it's very difficult for them to draw the line and of how much they should be receiving and how much pressure you're putting on a child as the decision maker. I think that that's a, that's a very different line than just, you know, sending an ad to an adult who can make their, their decision and, and pay and make their own money and make their own decision that way. And a lot of the targeting towards children are with malice and it's predatory. So, you know, we're not really talking about like, hey, you know, do you want to get to this next level? For five bucks, you get all these coins and we'll bring it to the next level and you have unlimited life or something. It's more click on this and now what apps are you being shown and who are you getting introduced to? And is this person really selling you something or is this person trying to gain your trust? It, it actually becomes that dangerous where it's not just about an advertisement, it's, it's about targeting a, a child, um, whether they're nine or 16 um, or 18 even, you know, in college. It, you know, it's, that predatory action starts with something innocent because that's how they draw you in, right? The lollipop. So it's, it's not just about being private and setting up those things, but also maintaining your privacy of not divulging everything to someone or something you don't know what they are, who they are. So it's it's a lot of um, it's a lot of personal strength they have to really be really have as children really quickly. I think a lot more quickly than we needed to. When you know, I my first piece of technology was a beeper. Everybody, I'm really dating myself, but 
even beepers, I mean, could get hacked and you started getting phone numbers from people you didn't know. And, you know, that's as soon as there's technology, there's going to be people that want to. And I think this goes on to our last point. You, You hit on it. There's elements that we need to talk to our children. And it's also having their sense of responsibility, as you mentioned, with other children and other parents may not have the same views as you. And uh, again, with respect to online media, the predatory um, element is is so obviously it's prevalent because you're behind a screen and it allows you obviously access uh, to more people. And it's it's scary. Uh, And so we've got to have these conversations with our children about avoiding scams, avoiding, uh, you know, malware, avoiding someone uh, who you don't know and or maybe who you think, you know, but is, you know, uh, maybe done some identity theft um, or is using fake profiles uh, in order to uh, to become associated or a friend or to start conversations and these things with you. So it's so important to talk to our kids about um, really the, and again, I'm going to have to go to it, is responsibility. But also another word you mentioned is respect. Uh, there needs to be a level of respect for this technology, that it's not just a toy um, that it's there is responsibility that goes along with it. So again, I think it's thinking twice, um, always asking. You know, I think having that open communication channel uh, and really developing a relationship between you, the device, and the child, and the actions that go about there is so much so very important as we move forward. Again, everything is becoming digitized. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the digital identity is becoming really prevalent. Um, And and so we want to make sure, obviously, that we're um, able to have those frank and open conversations uh, and then also install, obviously, protection methods uh, and settings within these devices and applications that give us insight into what is going on uh, with their digital identity. Um, What do you think there, Daniel? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I always had difficult, especially now that I have a teen, is um, is the fact that these conversations sound like they're incredibly dense and let's all sit down and it's cybersecurity over dinner or something. It's it's more this gradual thing I try to do. Um, I try to, look, hey, what are you watching on YouTube or what channels are you looking at or is there a fun game I could play on your phone? You know, I'm bored. Let me check that out. Try to engage with the software that they enjoy and enjoy it with them because I found that if I found common ground with these apps with my child then they were more apt to share new ones with me like hey check this out maybe you'll like this or this is a great app I watch them but this is more artsy or this is more about books you know where now they're sourcing things for me through the app and I'm seeing more benefits of it but I'm also seeing the things that she's seeing because she's sharing it with me. I'm not this, you know, like I said, internet police that's going to come in and always grab the phone and check this and be uber paranoid. It's more this teamwork, you know, hey, check out this email or can you believe how stupid this email was that they tried to get me on this or someone's trying to call me again from a bad number or, you know, all of these various things add up and becomes more of the behavior as opposed to kid just answering to adult where it's a lot harder I think to get through at least that's how I've experienced it with my child you know it could be different with everyone and and their dynamic but 
I think making it casual, social media and the gaming and technology it was meant to be fun. It was built on a goal of all of us being connected, right? So let's all stay connected, stay connected together and, and talk about the bad stuff, but enjoy all the good stuff and help each other find the fun in it again. And then maybe that'll resonate as they get older and they're on their own that, oh, I, I know exactly what's, you know, not for me and what I shouldn't share. I try to keep it organic. And, and I hope that that maybe is, is something that other people can Absolutely. try and have it work. And I think, um, Danielle, one of the things I appreciate is is the tactics and techniques that are used there in order to engage. Uh, again, given your background, both from a cybersecurity perspective, but more importantly, communications, marketing, and, and being able to incorporate the two, I think has been so valuable uh, for this podcast uh, in order to get, you know, your uh, methodologies are, are, have been absolutely excellent. So thank you so much for that. One of the things I wanted to finish with um, was how we're trying to support the next generation. And one of the things CIS, you know, we provide is, is best practices. We're providing companion guides for IoT devices. And we also have the MS ISAC poster contest where K through 12 can uh, participate and provide um, poster content that could be published um, in one of our calendars uh, that we make uh, known nationally. So I think there's great ways we can engage and have these conversations and utilizing those elements help create a, a conversation. Danielle, any last thoughts that you have? Yes, I think that a lot of the resources for K-12 that uh, CIS is producing, you mentioned the IoT devices, but also the, the um, poster contest, which I think is really great. It was one of the biggest, most important pieces that drew me to the company, actually, was, was the outreach being done with these younger generations. And this is a resource that's for everyone uh, for download. Actually, this year, the team at CIS was able to create an activity book. So teachers and people at home could download it for free. It has the winners of last year's poster contest, so you can see kids and how they um, represented password policy and a lot of the stuff we talked about today. Um, within the activity book along with some word searches and scrambles and coloring pages to really, you know, again, engage with them and get them just used to these types of terms and what to watch out for, uh, even at, you know, the, the kindergarten, first grade levels, which, you know, they, they have devices, so it's good for them to, to get started and learn this stuff because, as we say, they, they know more about it than we do. But we know how to protect more than they do, right? So that that's how it evens out. That's that's the parent side that we can that we can at least hold on to, right? Till they till they fly off on their own. So, I just wanted to add that part. And again, Sean, thank you so much for letting me sit in today. It's a I think it's a great podcast. I'm happy to be part of be part of this episode and and offer some tips from my Absolutely. perspective. Absolutely, thank thanks. you. Well, I think you put it best, Danielle, is that the more we prepare the next generation, the more we can minimize these threats. I thought that was excellent. And thank you again for being on the show. Uh, that's all we have for today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow CIS on social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until next time, I'm Sean Atkinson. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. 
Start secure and stay secure.